This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to my new podcast, God and Cancel Culture. I created it to draw attention to my new book. I did 22 interviews. The one that I'm playing today is with Mario Murillo, who was actually one of the last interviews I did, and I wanted to end on a real spiritual note. And Mario has really been stepping up, speaking a prophetic word to America. God is using him in such a mighty way. And as I've shared in different settings, Mario had an enormous impact on my life when I was 20 years old in 1971. And we have continued to be friends over the years. And I'm just so appreciative that he gave me this interview. It was an interview that I used in the book. So stay tuned. And I have another message at the end. Mario Murillo, I appreciate you taking time to answer my questions. I'm actually doing this interview for my new book, but hopefully I'll use it as a podcast too. And my first question is this, there's an awful lot happening in our country. What do you believe the church's response should be in the political realm to what's happening in our country? You know, Steve, when I used to preach against drugs, everybody loved me. And when I preached against gang violence, everybody loved me. But then when socialism became the worst drug in the ghetto and the Democrat Party became the most dangerous gang in the ghetto, it was a natural evolution to start talking about those things. But the church couldn't make the mental transformation. And I got a lot of uh, a lot of people that attacked me. But when God began to heal the sick on a greater level and more young people began to be saved, because I was being transparent about what was being said against American history, against the Bible, against uh, the Constitution, and the miracle that America is, uh, a lot of pastors have come around and realized we needed to make that transformation. What should the church's response be spiritually and in the house of God? Well, I think that spiritually, Whenever the church faces a what I call a 10x change, meaning a transformation in the culture to the 10th power, I I use it uh, an analogy of when Walmart moves into town. Every hardware store just went through a 10x change, uh, transformation to the 10th power. Every single store in that city needed to rethink its future and its existence. When wokeness struck America, and we didn't realize all these subterranean tentacles that it had in so many institutions, the church didn't allow the Holy Spirit to retool them. One of the verses that I refer to uh, is 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. In a great house, there's not only vessels of honor, but vessels unto dishonors some for honor, some for dishonor. Then God gives a promise. But if anyone separates themselves from these, they will be a vessel unto honor, meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. In history, we've watched men do things that were exotic and strange at the time, but were the result of God retooling them for the times that they lived in. And we can't be afraid of how different we're going to look if we obey God in a woke and cancel culture, because his approach and the, and the message to this culture is going to be different 
The gospel remains timeless. The truth of the word of God, unchangeable. But the fresh words that God wants to use and the fresh tactics he wants to anoint is a struggle. And since I've been around long enough to see this so many times, where the church has made the mistake of not changing, or the church has changed, and it's been remarkable. In Los Angeles, I watched Chuck Smith take a direction to create Calvary Chapel that was radical to every other church around. I think that same, uh, that same context is here now. The church needs to go back to God, surrender before God, get fresh fire in the glory of God, and, and see what the natural tactics and priorities that emerge from that revolution are. And that will be perfect for the times we're in. Well, that leads me to the next question. Uh, you've been a leader in you know what we call the charismatic movement for 50 years. I can't believe somebody who looks as young as you has been around that long, but you have. How would you describe what is different now in the day we're living in compared to what you've seen over the last half century? That is a great question. And thank you for the compliment, by the way. Um, and I'm going to tell you what I believe. It is. It has to do with politics. It has to do with the fact that all of our lives, you and I, there's been a, a basic respect for Christianity in the White House. Um, um, that, and that was shown by Billy Graham, who ministered directly to nine presidents. That I, And I'm, I think I've got that number right. But I'll tell you that once Obama came on the scene, and I don't blame Obama selectively, because I think that there was a tidal wave of transformation that he was uh, the figurehead of. Then the hostility to the Bible and the fundamental principles of American uh, history were changed. And since that time, that has been the single most difficult thing for the church to adjust to. And I want to add that I don't mean by that that we needed to have more of Trump. I, I think Trump was a wrecking ball that God sent. But I think now, in this moment that we're in, we're facing a new threat, and that is wokeness, cancel culture. And in order for the church to survive, it's not that they have to get political. It's, it's more a matter of depoliticizing the evil, saying, I'm not against you because you're a Democrat but because of the evil that you're doing to the nation. And we need to identify it. We need to speak against it. And the other thing that I believe is very important is signs, wonders, and miracles. Because basically the rug has been pulled out from under the veracity of church. There is no longer any lingering uh, uh, deferral to the church. They're not deferring to the church saying, oh, we, we love the church. They're willing to shut us down. They're willing to openly mock us. So now we need a fresh verification of our right to tell people to repent. And that isn't going to be in the spurious, emotionalistic meetings, but in the kinds of meetings that Oral and Catherine 
had, Oral Roberts, Catherine Kuhlman, medically verified miracles followed by a balanced presentation of the word of God. And I think that today, the issue of repentance, of national repentance, will be strengthened by the presence of the proper Holy Spirit-filled miracles of God in our meetings. Uh, you've been quoted as talking about how society needs, quote, new patents, general patent. Yes. To come forth. Could you explain what you meant by that? Well, I think the analogy of Patton is an excellent one because he was a troublesome leader. He was arrogant. Uh, he did curse. But his fundamental approach to war in the natural is the precise uh, tactic for war that we need now. For example, he never believed he didn't want his men digging foxholes. He said, why spend all that time digging a hole? Uh, you're not any really any safer than you are in the open field because it's going to take an accurate shot to take you out. But what he said is advancing, advancing, moving forward, taking the attack and the offensive to the enemy. I think that one of the dangers that we face is that Patton, you know, Patton said things like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to please what people think of me. I've got a war to win. Now, imagine if that spirit got on preachers today. They say, you know, I'm, I'm really not as concerned about my public relations as I am about obeying God and doing what God told me to do in my community and to preach the sermons that please the Holy Spirit, even when they may offend other people. And the next thing that Patton did that I think is so important is that he wasn't afraid to be a magnificent visionary. He said one time, uh, don't tell people how to do something, just tell them to do it, and you'll be amazed by their ingenuity. Now, we just finished the 10th crusade in Modesto, and for the local churches in Modesto, the 10th crusade, not Mario Murillo, the 10th crusade was a rude awakening of the hunger for God. Can you imagine we had two altar calls on two separate nights? where we had to process over 500 people that came forward. This was a, a mind-bending experience for the local pastors because they did not realize the harvest that was in their own area. But it was the audacity and the, the courage to take the offensive and do it in the name of Jesus that released that. And that's why we need that. We need general patents today that will... Uh, forget about the controversy and say, I don't care how I look, how popular I am. I just want to win the war. And that, that will be a great miracle for the church. You know, one of the things I've talked to different leaders about uh, and I'm dealing with in the book is about a new awakening. Some call it a great revival do you see any signs that a great revival is coming or because, you know, many people are wanting this to happen? Well, it's inevitable that the revival is coming. And, you know, I, I look at it. One of, one of the patterns for revival that Jesus referred to was weather. He said, you see the color of the sky and the cloud formations and you know what's coming. And you don't discern the signs of the times. 
in Florida, where where you live, a very important feature is whatever is going on out in the ocean. We know when a hurricane is coming because a vacuum forms over the water. The barometric pressure drops so deeply that these winds of nature that God has created come and equalize the air pressure, resulting in 200 mile per hour winds. The same thing applies to a culture because the natural hunger for God is something that no atheist can abolish, no university can ban, no human engineering is ever going to be capable of erasing man's deep desire to know God and the inner emptiness that they feel. So when you create a culture, which wokeness is done, and I'm gonna to refer to California in a moment. When you create a culture where you don't know what gender you are, you don't know what love is, you don't know what's up, what's down, what's truth, what's false, what's tr who you can believe, all of a sudden these deep, eternal yearnings rise to the surface and people turn to God. When that happened in the Bible, they questioned Christ. The Pharisees did. They said, you need, in essence, to help us understand Matthew 11. You need to help us understand why all of Judea has gone out to the middle of nowhere to be baptized by John the Baptist. And Jesus said, the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I see that as a, as a weather phenomenon, uh, a hurricane. Uh, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, I believe chapter 5, it says there was no open revelation. And when God's spirit falls on a culture that is starved for truth, it will overrun the walls of the church. It, every single sociological theory about humanity goes out the window. It happened repeatedly in history. The names are endless. John Wesley, it, uh, Charles Finney. Uh, it goes on and on and on. In America, the tide of spiritual awareness has gone out so far that the youth are starved. And, and that's what we're watching in California. Now, this weekend, we had three events that coincided with each other that seemed to be like God is destroying wokeness. The first was that Gavin Newsom's uh, recall election was confirmed. 30% of the people that are calling for his removal from office are, are Democrats. The overriding theme is, is that you were a tyrant. You shut down our schools even after science said it was safe to reopen them. You went out to a restaurant when you told us not to. You put your children in an in-classroom private school while you told our children they had to stay home. And so there was that. Then LeBron James issues a very ill-advised tweet that I think released uh, an awokeness, the racism that's under the, under the surface. It didn't matter if this officer was trying to save a black girl from being stabbed to death. He simply reacted that it was a policeman and he was white. And that had a devastating effect on wokeness. But the third one, a lot of people wouldn't imagine this to be significant, was the Academy Awards. They had less than 9 million viewers for the Academy Awards. This was a, a massive drop. And yet within the, so the, within the presentation of the Academy Awards, 
they they railed on the police and they said defund the police while they were heavily being guarded by the police at the Academy Awards. So there are three things about wokeness that God is seems to be exposing. One is the racism. The second is the hypocrisy. And the third is the tyrannical nature of cancel culture, which Americans are not going to abide because they're always for the underdog. Well, all of this is part of a sociological phenomenon, perhaps, where the pressure of morality has dropped so low that people will violently overrun the church. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. We're watching it in our tent crusades. Twice we've had to get a, a bigger tent. And each time, this one was 50% larger than our previous tent. And still we had nearly several hundred outside that couldn't fit in the tent. Every meeting. So the hunger is there. It could be a new Jesus movement. It could be something else. But anyone who supposes that something big is not at work is going to miss it, and they're going to be proven very, very wrong. And it's kind of like that hurricane you talked about where, you know, there's a slow pressure and the, and the winds come rushing in. And, of course, I know firsthand that hurricanes are very, very violent. Right. And, uh, so that's just very interesting insight. And as we wrap this up, I am writing the book on cancel culture. Of course, you've mentioned it several times, but and the book, of course, will be full of examples of cancel culture, both in the general culture, which has you know really nothing to do with Christians, but specifically against Christians. And I just wonder if you have any advice for believers in standing up to the kind of cancel culture where I write about uh, Chris Hodges, who pastors, he's a, you know, he'd call himself charismatic. I know him. He pastors the largest church in Alabama. It's called Church of the Highlands. And he merely went through his Twitter feed and checked like to some articles that were just articles on conservative values. And somebody found it, thought that he should not like conservative thought and made such a big deal with the school board that they have a whole bunch of satellite campuses in a church that big, of course, and quite a number of them met in schools. And they eliminated their ability to meet at schools. And when I heard that, I thought, what can be more innocent than checking a like? So now you can't even like something on Twitter without you know pretty serious uh, ramifications. Now, that's just one example of many. It's probably maybe more an extreme. Chris Hodges just decided to be humble and, you know, not say a whole lot about it. But what do you think Christians should do to stand up to this kind of bullying, which you really referred to earlier uh, in the conversation about, you know, them trying to get rid of Christianity? You know, uh, my reaction would have been different than Brother Hodges to the 180th degree. But what I want to share is if we want to understand counter uh, cancel culture, we have to reread the book of Esther because that's what that entire book was about. In fact, it was not just cancel, it was genocide. And her entire approach was favor of God put her in position. But that position she was put in 
was for the sake of resisting evil law. This is what the church has forgotten how to do is resist evil law. Psalm 94, it says, God will not have fellowship with those who devise law by evil. That's what's happening in our culture. A few lawsuits don't hurt. The two, for example, that Cheon at Harvest Rock in Pasadena won because he opposed Gavin Newsom's uh, lockdown. And he won on at the Supreme Court twice. So resistance, it isn't that resistance is wrong. It's that the resistance has to be anointed resistance. And that's what Esther had. But she wouldn't have done it if it weren't for Mordecai. Mordecai provoked her, her relative, her, her cousin. He provoked her to doing her duty. He said, if you remain silent at this time, salvation will come to the Jews from another source. But, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. And I want to comment on that. And, and then Mordecai said, but who knows if you, but you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Every minister that's, that reads your book needs to ask themselves, why am I in the ministry today? Am I a freedom fighter? Am I a resistor? Am I going to allow uh, my fear and need for self-preservation to take dominion over my duty as a leader? And now it says in Acts 14 something very strange and wonderful. In the first verse, it says that the apostles preached so effectively and that the, that the rabble of the city that they were in poisoned the minds of the people against the gospel. But the next phrase is the one that matters. It says, therefore, they stayed and bore witness with great effectiveness. And God proved that his message was from him. Their message was from him by giving them power to work great miracles. And I'm going to finish with one last analogy that I think is critical. Paul and Silas are arrested. The Philippian church is a house church. And they're now an underground church because the apostle who led them to Christ is in jail. So he's in the middle of the jail. They sing at midnight. God sends an earthquake. And then the politicians hear that the earthquake was destroyed and foolishly send word that says, you know, you're free to go leave quietly. Now, a great miracle has occurred. Now, it is up to Paul to decide is that a personal deliverance or was it an act of God to protect the Philippian church? And did the leader need to put aside his own safety and self-preservation and enforce the miracle on the culture? And here's how he did it. He told them, no, we won't leave. Now that's civil disobedience. I don't care how you look at it. He broke their law. They said, leave. He said, no. For you, and then he 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 confronted them. This is what I told. I have told this to thousands of pastors in California. You are not violating the law by meeting in the church. They are violating the law by closing you down, because the Constitution says that no one will make a law in the United States to to ban the free exercise of religion. So I said they broke the law. You didn't. It's up to you to stand. And so Paul decided to stay, 
And that's how the Philippian church was salvaged because he reinforced, took the miracle and everyone, I tell a drug addict that a former pastor, you're a gang member, you were saved. God delivered you from drugs. What's that for? For you? No, sir. That is a witness to your culture and your generation. So every pastor is in essence a freedom fighter now. It wasn't our choice, but it is now our duty. It wasn't perhaps what we went in the ministry to be, but now that is what we are, and it is inescapable. Well, Mario, thank you for your thoughts. You show up in the book numerous times, partly based on previous interviews I've done with you and some of your public comments, but you've given me a lot of new information, so thank you very much. I'm back in the studio. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I believe the interview for my book, Guide in Cancer Culture, was one of the most important. I hope it makes you want to read the book, and I hope that you'll want to give a sign of support by pre-ordering it, even though Amazon won't send it to you until the release date, September 7th. You can go on Amazon.com. You can put in Stephen Strang books, or you can put in Guide in Cancel Culture, and it'll pop right up. You can read the different things we say about it, and there's a way to order it. Your pre-ordering the book is a vote of confidence that you think this is important and that you understand that when you help us like this, it helps the book get traction, which will help us to sell more copies to more people and influence more people. Thank you for listening. Thank you in advance for pre-ordering my book, God and Cancel Culture, on Amazon.com. God bless you.